As I've been preparing for this week's message, I've been thinking a lot about life in general. And now sometimes life is so smooth and so good and so easy and filled with fun, and at other times it's filled with all kinds of twists and turns and surprises. Last week I stood before you and welcomed you and said a special thing about Father's Day. We had a wonderful video about it and wonderful worship service and went out for dinner with, with Barb and with our granddaughter and got home, opened some presents, and then I picked up this card from one of my sons. It says, to the boss of our family. Whoops, sorry, Mother's Day was last month. Happy Father's Day anyway. <laughs> Talk about a twist and a turn. Where did I go wrong? I don't know. But it's... What does that have to do with today? Probably not much except that. We're looking at the simple life, which also is filled with twists and turns and surprises. We're going to be looking at Matthew, the sixth chapter, starting at verse 24. I will read it in a few moments as, as part of the message, but if you'd like to turn to it now, feel free to, to do that. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, may these words be yours and not mine, that you might accomplish your purpose through them. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Here's a reflective question. That means you don't have to answer it out loud. Are you living a simple life? I suppose it helped to know what's a simple life. So let's take a look. There's a dictionary definition of simple, and it says easily understood or done. Straightforward, easy, uncomplicated. So I'll ask again, are you living a simple life? Most of us would say, if we are, it's not for long, and it's not always. In fact, a physician once estimated that 80% of his patients came to him not because of some bacteria or disease or illness in their body, but because of a need to change lifestyles. Similarly, a seminary professor said, we want to be a saint, but we also want to feel every sensation experienced by sinners. We want to be innocent and pure, but we also want to be experienced and taste all of life. We want to serve the poor and have a simple lifestyle, but we also want all the comforts of the rich. We want to have the depth afforded by solitude, but we also do not want to miss anything. We want to pray, but we also want to watch television, read, talk to friends, and go out. It's a small wonder that life is often a trying enterprise and that we are often tired and pathologically overextended. Now, none of this is new. In fact, the wise preacher in Ecclesiastes said it very well. Ecclesiastes 7.29. This is in the Good News Translation. This is all that I have learned. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. The Contemporary English Bible puts it this way. See, this alone I found. God made human beings straightforward, but they search for many complications. So what is it that makes for the simple life? best thing to do, of course, is turn to scriptures. So let's look at the scriptures for an explanation of the simple life. best place to begin is to look at what Jesus said. First, our passage for today. I'll be reading in the New, and on the screen will be the New Living Translation, but feel free to read along in your own Bibles and see some of the nuances there. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your Heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What shall we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That last verse and its context is indeed the prescription for the simple life. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, which means in right relationship with him, and he will give you everything you need. But this was not just a one-time message of Jesus. He said it often in different contexts and with different images. Think, for example, of Luke twelve fifteen. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Luke 12, beginning in verse 16. Jesus told a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, huh, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, eh, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves that is not rich toward God. Now, lest you think I'm coming after all of us for having too many possessions... The issue is not necessarily possessions in and of themselves. The issue here is there is something far more valuable than possessions that captivates us. And we cannot let our possessions possess us. In the same vein, we are not to let our ambitions or our position, our power or our privilege or our relationships, our desire for success or for acceptance or for love to dominate us. So Jesus had some other things to say. Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. To the disciples, in Matthew 19, Jesus said, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. Many who are last will be first. Mark chapter 8. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus in John 12, foreshadowing His own death, said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Straightforward, easy, uncomplicated. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. In his classic work, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster said it this way, the central point for the discipline of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of his kingdom first, and then everything necessary will come in its proper order. It is impossible to overestimate the importance of Jesus' insight at this point. Everything hinges upon maintaining the first thing as first. Nothing must come before the kingdom of God, including the desire for a simple lifestyle. The simple life is experienced through focusing on Jesus always and in all things. We need to get rid of the surrounding clutter. It's a matter of focus and trust. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred for his faith, hit the nail on the head when he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Not in pursuit of something for oneself. All things are ours already in Jesus. Not in order to make something of oneself. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Rather, in order to serve, in order to help others, in the name of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus are free for such service. And such service belongs to and authenticates genuine witness to the crucified, risen Savior. Let me draw what hopefully is a more practical analogy. You who are parents, what happened to your wishes and your desires and your expectations and wants when your children were born? Gone. Well, maybe not gone, but they certainly were no longer in first place. The kids took control. Now, you didn't hate yourself for having children. There might have been some days you wondered, but you didn't hate them for having children. But you came to the discovery and learned the fact that your needs, wants, and desires, and ambitions needed to be under someone else's. Someone else's was first. In the very same way, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, When we ask Him to take over our lives, we lose ourselves in Jesus Christ's desires and wants. We need to set our life's GPS on Jesus so our heart and lives always lead to and point to Him. Then, then it is that we will live the simple life. That's maybe some heady stuff, so let's bring it down a notch and look at some examples of the simple life. Certainly Jesus himself. Fourth chapter of Matthew, 
You'll recall that he's tempted 40 days while he's fasting in the wilderness by Satan. And with each temptation Satan gives him, he refers to the scriptures and he stands on the word. He overcomes temptation. Finally, he's defeated Satan and Satan leaves him until a later time. That's the simple life. Matthew 20, 28, he said, The Son of Man himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's focus. That's the simple life. John 4, 34, he said, My food, the purpose of my life, is to do the will of him who sent me, to finish his work. That's the simple life. Luke twenty two forty two. he's facing his crucifixion. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. And he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And recall the reaction of the men Jesus called to be his disciples. Come, follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. At once, immediately, at that moment, they left their nets and followed him. They put their past behind and left it behind them. Well, think of the Apostle Paul. He gives us such an insight into his life in the third chapter of Philippians. And he says he, he had the life. He lived by the right rituals. He had rank. He had ancestry. He had the right pedigree. He followed the right orthodoxy and all the right rules. He had an impressive resume. And yet, he came to the point where he said he counted it all as loss. Verse 7 of chapter 3 of Philippians. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul's resume was not bad in and of itself. In fact, it was so good, Jesus chose him to be his representative in a powerful way. But that resume, that background, all of those rights and privileges had driven Paul away from Christ. Anne Lamott put it well. She said, God can't clean the house of you when you're still in it. Paul had to get out of his own house so Jesus could come in and clean things up. Here's the lesson from that. The truth is we may know Jesus in our heads, but not in our hearts. The biblical word to know means an intimacy of heart and soul, mind and body. It's an intertwining of whole beings and souls. Think of it this way. I can know in my head the definition of a kiss. It is a caress with the lips. Or I'm not going to do it, but I could run down the aisle and kiss Barb. In my heart, I know what a kiss is. We can know Jesus in our heads, but not know him in our hearts. Once Paul had been kissed by Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed. It was no longer what he did for God, but what God had done for him in Jesus Christ. He had moved from a religion to a relationship. He lost his religion to gain the experience of salvation. Paul proved that it is possible to be religious, but not know Jesus. And knowing Jesus was now his life's aim. Continuing in that third chapter of Philippians. But one thing I do, one thing, focus, straightforward. 
Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Focus. A simple life. Albert Pujols was a World Series champion, an all-star many, many times, and several times in the National League MVP. Once the most feared hitter in all of baseball. But the impressive thing about Pujols is not what he did on the diamond, it's what he does off the diamond. He established the Pujols Family Foundation, which offers support and care to people with Down syndrome and their families, and he also helps the poor in the Dominican Republic. And he and his wife provide a loving home for their children. But he does it all, most importantly, because he is a passionate, passionate disciple of Christ. While speaking some years ago, at Lafayette Senior High School in Missouri, he told an audience of men and boys, as a Christian, I am called to live a holy life. My standard for living is set by God, not by the world. I am responsible for growing and sharing the gospel. And then he read from Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And he said, One way for me to stay satisfied in Jesus is for me to stay humble. Humility is getting on your knees and staying in God's will. What He wants for me, not what the world wants. It would be easy to go out and do whatever I want, but, but those things only satisfy the flesh for a moment. Jesus satisfies my soul forever. Like Paul, Albert knows Christ and he lives the simple life. But to be totally transparent and honest, living the simple life is not always all that simple. As I said at the outset, it has its twists, its turns, and its surprises. So Jesus laid out the expectations of the simple life. 18th chapter of Luke. Jesus took the twelve and he told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. Jesus was sold out to his father, and he knew that that simple life would lead to persecution and death. We love the Christmas message and the angel saying that his birth means peace on earth, goodwill among those with whom he is well pleased. And yet there's another side here. Jesus Christ is in many ways the most divisive person in all the world. Because when we hear about Him, we're either for Him or against Him. We love Him or we hate Him. There is no middle ground. There is no neutrality. In fact, He said, here's what we can expect. Matthew 10. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Certainly not the way to win friends and influence people, is it? Jesus is the great divide between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world. So he said it again in Matthew 10, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me 
is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So here's the point to which we're headed today. To focus on Jesus and live the simple life is to experience persecution. I love how Meister Eckhart said it years ago, the true followers of Jesus are absurdly happy, totally fearless, and almost always in trouble. You know, we can sing that, that song that describes my soul, I speak Jesus. And we can sing it with all our passion and all our heart, but let's be aware as we sing that song, the more we speak Jesus, the higher the price there is to pay. Remember what John the Baptist said in predicting Jesus? Matthew 3, beginning verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So indeed, Jesus warned his disciples, Matthew 10, verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. So Jesus was persecuted killed. And then the apostles found his words to be true. Their simple life, their focused life would lead to persecution and death. In fact, here's what happened to the apostles according to ancient traditions. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem, the first apostle to die. Matthew was slain with a sword in a city in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged through the streets of Alexandria until he expired. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. James the last was thrown from either a pinnacle or a wing of the temple. Philip was hanged up against a pillar in Phrygia. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was scourged, then tied to a cross where he preached to people for two days before breathing his last. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Thomas was run through the body with a lance. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. John was exiled to the penal island of Patmos. Later became the only apostle to die a natural death, though he died apart from all whom he loved. Persecution exists. Because Jesus was treated that way. Matthew 10, 24. A student is not above his teacher. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. And let's make no mistake about it. Persecution still exists today. Not only should we expect it, 
you need to recognize it's on the increase. Consider just some statistics. In the last 30 years, the number of countries where Christians suffer extreme and high levels of persecution has doubled to 76 different countries. More than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. Grab this one. One in seven Christians worldwide are persecuted. One in seven Christians worldwide are persecuted. One in five Christians in Africa are persecuted. Two in five Christians are persecuted in Asia. Ninety percent of all Christians killed for their faith are in one nation, Nigeria. It's genocidal nightmare. But how many of you have heard anything on the news? The world stands back and says it's their problem. Recently, rioting and violence broke out in India's northeastern state of Manipur. Christians quickly became a target. The result, 108 villages completely destroyed, over 200 churches burned to the ground, over 80 lives taken, and 66,000 people displaced from their homes. In North Korea, it's estimated that at least 30,000 Christian brothers and sisters are imprisoned under inhumane conditions. Maldives is supposed to be a tourist attraction but under law there, children as young as seven years old can be sentenced to death for apostasy, which includes conversion to Christ. I'm wearing an armband today that has a symbol on it. Some days I wear it on a t-shirt. That's the symbol. And it is the letter N and stands for I am N. The history behind it is simply this. One morning in Mosul, Iraq, Christians woke up and found that that symbol, meaning I am a Nazarene, I am a Christian, had been spray-painted in red above their doors. That enabled the terrorists to come to each one of those doors and say, you have a choice. You can return to Islam. You can leave the country. You can pay an exorbitantly high tax. Or you can die. The choice is yours. Every time I wear that shirt, my heart aches and breaks. Christians who are persecuted. Christian Broadcasting Network reported just within the last couple of weeks that a family was found with a Bible in North Korea. The entire family was sentenced to a prison camp, including their two-year-old baby, a prison camp. I could go on, but it gets awful heavy. But let's recognize that even in the United States, though persecution is not at that level, it's on the increase. Be aware of the fact that the IRS has in recent years been targeting Christian nonprofits. Under a previous administration, the Department of Health and Human Services relentlessly prosecuted the Christian charity Little Sisters of the Poor simply because they didn't want to pay for abortive contraceptives. It took them a decade to finally get cleared by the courts. This past April, a Hickson Middle School student wore a cross around his neck to school. He went into the library for the book fair and the teacher stopped him and took away his cross. 
He said he couldn't wear it in school. Some of the ones you've heard in the news, I'm sure Jack Phillips, the baker, for over a decade harassed because he wanted to run his business and bake his cakes on Christian standards. It took 10 years for the courts to clear him, and now he's back in court again. Baronelle Stutzman, a florist, eventually gave up her business. Coach Joe Kennedy was fired simply for praying to God in public. It took seven years to be exonerated. And hear this one. Since May of one year ago, 13 months, in the last 13 months, more than 120 United States Christian pregnancy centers, organization, and churches have been vandalized, desecrated, or firebombed in the last year. And sometimes it hits close to home. Some years ago, the office of the Christian Ministry of the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., where my, one of our sons works, was penetrated by a gunman who was intent on killing everyone in the building. Why? Because he had seen the name Family Research Council on the hate list of the Southern Poverty Law Center. And why were they on that hate list? Because they took a stand, biblical stand for traditional marriage. And were it not for a heroic security guard, he might have succeeded. A few years ago when I was pastoring in South Haven, one of our youth went home from school and informed her parents that she had mentioned God in a paper and in a report, and her teacher said, you can't do that in school. You can't say God's name. That was not school policy, but it was never challenged. It's true in America today, we don't see the level of persecution of our brothers and sisters around the world. But let's understand, it's a snowball that has started rolling down the hill, and we know what happens as the snowball rolls downhill. So the simple life, focused on Jesus, above all else, may not be easy. So let me bring it home. Two challenges this morning. Number one, pray for and support persecuted Christians around the world. All I can tell you is that doing so has profoundly changed my life. This Thursday, as you may have seen on our Hope Facebook page this past week, this coming Thursday is the day of the Christian martyr. It's the day in which they believe the Apostle Paul was crucified and martyred. So this week, it seems to me, it's a divinely appointed time to begin to identify with and support our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. After worship, I encourage you not just to grab your cup of coffee and leave, but to come to a table that I'll be standing by. There's two tables there with lots of material on it, some for you just to peruse, some for you to take home. And I challenge you to take something home, to read something, to grab onto something, and ask God this week to show you what He wants you to do. And whether it's just to be more aware or to pray or to give, ask Him what He wants you to do. And remember, when you do it to one of the least of these, you do it to Jesus. It will profoundly change your life. Number two, commit to living the simple life. Set your GPS to Jesus always and in everything Put Jesus first. You may have seen Pepsi ad on television. Several different actors do it. One is, is Steve Martin. And he says, as an actor, it's my job to make people believe that what they're seeing is real. 
Then he takes a sip of the Pepsi. And he says, wow, that's fantastic. Or am I just acting? It's a great ad. But here's my question. Is what the world is offering true or just an act? The world offers us so many things. Roses, comfort, ease, advancement, trophies, position, fulfillment of worldly ambitions. All Jesus offers is a simple life of hardship, persecution, and death. But fellowship with Him. Martin Luther's immortal hymn words still hold true. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. What's on the periphery of your life that keeps you from seeking first the kingdom and serving only Jesus? Here's a question to ponder. Is there anything that you will not lose for Jesus? I believe I shared this list a couple of years ago, but it is so apropos, I I share it again. This comes from Asian Access, which is a Christian mission agency in South Asia. That area is predominantly Hindu, so church planners are very careful when somebody says they want to commit to Christ and be baptized. So they have a series of questions that each person expressing an interest in being baptized needs to consider and answer. Here's the questions. Number one, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Number two, are you willing to lose your job? Number three, are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you, forgive them, and share the love of Christ with them? Four, are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Five, are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Six, are you willing to go to prison? Seven, are you willing to die for Jesus? What would your answers be? Understand that if the new convert answers yes to all those questions, they're asked to sign a paper with their own handwriting that says they did this of their own free will. Nobody forced them to do it. And if the government finds out, it's an automatic three years in prison. I ask you again, would you sign it? And recognize also that if they catch the evangelist who led that person to Christ, it's an automatic six years in prison. Would you evangelize? Here's the risk. They're behind bars. They're speaking the name of Jesus. Can you say in the words of the hymn you can have all this world but give me Jesus. That's the doorway to the simple life. And I invite you this morning to walk through the door. Let's pray. Lord God, speak to us what we need to hear. 
sounds so simple, and yet it doesn't. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You can search us and know our thoughts. So through your Holy Spirit, speak to us. Transform us. And use us. Make us courageous. Help us be so deeply in love with you that nothing stands between us. It's the prayer we raise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.